All right. Good afternoon. Wait a minute. Yep. Good morning, everybody. It is, <laughs> it's Angie Atkinson, and I'm here with the lovely and talented Dana Morningstar for this beautiful surprise Friday morning stream. <laughs> As you all know, we do this um, usually on Tuesdays at 12.30 Central Time, and uh this week we didn't because we had things that happened so this week we're here on Friday happy Friday everybody um so Dana welcome back thanks for having me as always always my pleasure and we thought we would talk about I asked you guys in the um on the community tab on my channel uh, what what did you want to hear about this week and one one thing that I saw come up several times was kind of breaking free from that toxic relationship or that toxic person kind of breaking free from the trauma bonds things like that so we thought we'd start there today um, Dana do you want to share your thoughts on do you want to start us off or do you want me to start us off on trauma um, bonds and- you know what why don't you go go for it and I'm gonna go get onto your channel and okay catch up in the chat that works. All right. <laughs> all right. So we all know that we, when we get into a relationship with a narcissist, we find ourselves connected in a way that feels, um, a lot of us feel like it's, oh, this is our soulmate. This is our, this is our person. And as we kind of go, go through the relationship and it becomes toxic and we start to be damaged by it. Did somebody else just come into the stream? We start to be damaged by it. Um, then we also find ourselves, I just heard a, a Oh, that was weird. Okay. Um, anyway, then what we find out is that we end up like feeling stuck and we can't get away. Even if we want to leave, even if we have the means to leave, we feel like we can't get away. And if they leave, then we feel like we're broken and destroyed and lost. And so a lot of people were asking, in fact, let me just pull up some of these questions right now while we're talking. Um, you know, uh, one person said, Breaking the trauma bond was something they were interested in hearing about. This was Sad Panda. Um, And Sad Panda says, when you've learned about narcissistic personality disorder and all of their mind games, but your brain is still stuck in trauma mode, stuck in trauma mode, like you understand cognitively what's going on, but your mind just keeps trying to rationalize everything and you still wonder if you're really the crazy one despite finding validation. And I think that's exactly what a lot of us feel like when we're in that moment. And then Victorious Bella added advice on not taking the narcissist personal, which I think kind of ties in, it all kind of ties in uh, with that. So um, yeah, I think, I think number one, I would say the first, the first thing that you, you have to do is think about it from that logical cognitive standpoint, if you're looking to start to heal. For me, I had to start thinking, I think we've talked about this a thousand times. I'm going to talk about it one more time. I had to start looking at people and going, okay, so this person is displaying this identifiable behavior. You know, so this is gaslighting or this is projection or this is whatever it is. And somehow that began to take the sting out of it for me. But I think once once we are able to identify the behaviors, then we have to figure out a way to connect our emotions to the new understanding of the, you know, the new intellectual understanding of what we're dealing with because up to the point that we figure out you know okay this person's toxic this person might be a narcissist or whatever we're kind of in the dark and we're treating them or thinking of them as like every other person but they're not (laughs) and so I I think it starts there and I think self-love or self-acceptance has to be there so you have to get to the point where you start to not only unconditional unconditionally accept yourself but also 
recognize your value and your worth and realize that this person isn't recognizing that in the way that they're treating you and recognizing all the things that we're doing for them or that we did for them and how little they actually did for us that was positive you know and even those things like some people will say well you know they paid for everything or they gave me a home or they they took me away from my toxic family and those things are great but if they made that home toxic and painful to live in you know it's it's not it's not so so great Dana I'd love you to jump in on this whenever you're ready sure um well, I think maybe let's talk a little bit about um, trauma bonds and, and kind of what they are and how they're formed. Yes. Good point. <laughs> Start so, there. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, I hear an echo. Am I oh. muted on your end? No, but I think I can fix it. Hold on. Okay. How's that? Is that better? La, 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 la. I think that's, yeah, perfect. Okay. okay. Um, so what makes for a trauma bond is it's the low times and then the relief of the high times. And, and so this is caused by what's known as intermittent reinforcement. And so it's basically a way that behavior is conditioned. So for example, when a person is in an environment where there's continuous reinforcement, it's predictable. So for example, if you grow up in a home and it's made clear, okay, bedtime is at 10 o'clock, curfew is, I don't know, 1 a.m. If you're a teenager, I don't know. Um, You know, this is, we leave for school at 7, 10 in the morning. Things are predictable. In that kind of environment, a person obviously knows what to expect and they can relax. There's not highs and lows associated with that. With if there is punishment, a person knows why. If you get grounded, you know, oh, it's because I came home after curfew or this. When things are not predictable, so using that same example, if sometimes you come home, you know, your teenager waltzes in at 3 a.m. and sometimes they get grounded and then sometimes they don't. And in, in like an abusive relationship, sometimes you act a certain way and you uh, things are fine, but then other times you might get the silent treatment or they might start raging at you or they just up and break up with you. There's always this level of uncertainty there. And, but then there's that relief that comes. So again, in, in an abusive relationship. So let's say for example, um, you're out at dinner and you bring up something about, um, I don't know, totally not even an issue. Uh, the waiter smiles at you, right? And then you get punished for that. And then now you're terrified uh, to have, you know, your partner accuses you of flirting with other men. And the, but the next time that happens, they don't say anything. Right. Uh, or I don't know, that's probably not the best example, but something along those lines, it's just not predictable. There's that relief of, okay, everything's fine. Um, and that, so go ahead. No, I just wanted to add, and I think on the flip side of that, what I've, what I've experienced is this something similar to that, where I think we can all relate to is that, you know, they're, they're horrible to us. And then one, one day they do something really sweet. They bring us flowers or they suddenly recognize our career achievement for once in their lives or whatever. And then the next day they're back to the usual thing. And and it's that those little spots of sweetness that keep us going, right? It's kind of like when you right? Like the first time a drug addict tries a drug and they get that crazy high. Mm -hmm. And then the next time 
they, they, what I understand is that they keep chasing that same original high, but they never get it. And it's kind of like how they keep us connected with that trauma bond because each time they give us a little bit of sweetness, we remember the original sweetness that we're trying to get to. So we're always chasing that carrot. And I think that's really a lot of what, a lot of the, the intermittent reinforcement part that kept me attached, you know what I mean? Was not so much the moments of ugliness and then the quiet, but the, the moments of sweetness that came in between all the ugliness, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's when people mistake those moments of sweetness as, Oh, things have finally turned a corner. Yes. Right. Like I finally got yes. to them or our relation, whatever issue they, they might really have. do love me or they whatever. Really do yep. love me. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so then the person doubles up or triples up their effort to try to keep that relationship stable and solid and predictable. And so what you were saying, the, the, the lows and highs of all of that, um, it, there's a chemical reaction that's going on. So when, we hit those lows. It's a lot of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. You have a lot of adrenaline. It's a fear-based reaction of, oh no, right? This relationship's going to end or this person doesn't care. But then let's say they give you the silent treatment. Oh no. Oh my gosh. And then now we're feeling this like unhinged neediness of this is why there's that addictive feeling of I I need them. I'm willing to do whatever to get this person to reopen contact with me and let me know that basically that this relationship can continue. And then if they do call or they do text or something, then it's this rush of dopamine, which is that, that chasing that high of, Oh, thank goodness. They're actually going to be there. You can see this with children too. And this is one of the difficulties that a lot of parents have and why children tend to lash out with the more stable parent but then gloss over all the bad, the problematic things with the unpredictable parent. So for example, let's say your child has a piano recital and your ex uh, says, at first they said, oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And then the night of, they say, you know what? I can't make it. And what your child is now feeling totally deflated and just unloved and unimportant. But then during the recital, your ex shows up and they're in the middle row and your child sees them. Now they're on this complete high of, oh my gosh, they really do love me. And it's that emotional roller coaster versus the other parent who was like, yes, the recital's at eight. I'll be there at eight. I'll be front and center. They, cause they can rely on that. It's, it's just, chase, it's chasing, yes. it's chasing this. And so once we can see that this is what it is, that unhinged neediness. And what's so sad about that is it's so, intense it we can mistake it for love like, I'll never feel this way again I can't get this person off my mind I have to, I'm, I'm addicted to them I can't I just need I crave them yes and that's why it's that intermittent reinforcement and it's that trauma bond yeah. that's present because there's two types of bonds there's a healthy bond which is based on you know, respect and dignity and consistency and all of that and then there's trauma bonds which is based on unpredictability and chaos in an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And like you kind of touched on earlier, it does, it affects our brain in the same, in fact, the same part of our brain that mm-hmm. the drug affects. So the same, we are literally addicted to their craziness and their inconsistencies, uh, as Dana explained with the, because of the, the intermittent reinforcement thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's ugly y'all. It's ugly. Yeah. And I can see here in the chat people talking about it. First of all, hello, Arlene. Welcome. I'm glad you caught us live. Hi, Ruby and Sunny and Deborah. Okay. Um, 
Hi, Jackie and Heidi. Sunny says, please tell me how I can let just let go. My head knows, but my heart keeps keeps clinging to him. And and Heidi says, I, I just feel not loved. Sunny says, I feel so rejected. Hi, Magenta. Um, and, you know, I see rejected, discarded. Um, lots of this... Um, Lots of this in the chat today. Uh, Vegans RN says this trauma bond was really hard to accept, and it actually had a hold on me. You know, and here we have Heidi talking about she's got children with this person. Um, Rhonda saying, "How do you get the narcissist to stop trying to contact you?" Which also kind of connects to the mm-hmm. trauma bonding. Um, yeah. So, and then and then Jennifer says why do I do really well with no contact at first? And then a couple of weeks in, I struggle and I seem to forget all the bad stuff. Well, in addition to, of course, abuse, amnesia, that's when we kind of the distance and absence kind of makes the heart grow fonder. It's normal for, for us to do that. But at the same time, it all rolls back right to what the trauma bond, we are literally addicted to these people. What are your thoughts when I say that, Dan? Do you think that's too much? Nope. I think you're hundred percent accurate with that. And a lot of it too, the added challenge with this is, the highs and lows are often, they hit such core wounds or core needs for, for people. And this is why anybody can get caught up with them. So especially people that have kind of gone around feeling unloved or unimportant for any length of time, this is, this is why we keep running back to them. So it's just, it's because, you know, the whole, the universe hates a void basically. So if we're not substituting the absence of that, of getting those needs met, the feeling loved, feeling important in healthy ways, we're going to continue to, the pull is going to be that much more difficult to break. It's, it's sort of like if a person's trying to quit drinking or smoking or even be on a diet, like, you know, maybe the first week or two you can do fine, but then slowly you start rationalizing. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's just one cigarette or it's just one slice of cheesecake. And then it becomes that slippery slope back into old behavior. But if you can figure out why, why, what is the pull here? Why am I drinking? Why am I smoking? Why am I eating? Why am I contacting my ex? Because it's that kind of, whenever we do anything problematic, there's generally, well, in general, but especially problematic, it's because we're trying to meet some sort of need. And the stronger the pull there, the stronger the need. This is why, for example, like when people get sober, they might stop drinking, but then it tends to shift to something else. So if they're trying to numb themselves or run from something and they're either, it's so repressed and same thing with abuse. Like if it's so repressed, then they're not addressing it. Then it's just going to shift to something else. Yep. Um, but yeah, these, we've got some other questions here in the chat about, uh, KB asks, do you think the narcissist is consciously aware of their tactics? And Alice also asked a very similar question. She says, how much are they aware of the trauma bond or are they? Um, I I don't think they would ever call it a trauma bond or be aware of it. Um, They would like us to think that they are just addictive people, (laughs) you know, because that's how they would see themselves. That's one of their little Achilles heels. But do they realize it? I think that depends, you know, do they realize what they're doing? I think in general that depends. And this is just my personal opinion from my own experiences um, and a little bit of research, but um, I think that they know if they're intelligent enough to know. So there are different, you know, it's all a spectrum. We've talked about that before. There are very toxic narcissists who are just kind of 
driving blind. This is just what they know. This is maybe how their parents were or just how they've always gotten by with this behavior. And they don't even, those narcissists who I believe are typically less intelligent, and I don't mean any disrespect when I say that, but they tend to just kind of act on instinct. This is all they know. And then there are these narcissists and toxic people of other, you know, further down the spectrum, you know, sociopaths, psychopaths, who they know and they intentionally do it. And I think those are the most dangerous ones of all, the ones who are intentionally, literally intentionally choosing to destroy you psychologically and control you. The other ones, the ones who are like lower on the spectrum, because of their intelligence level, they can be as damaging as the more intelligent ones, but they, I think, are less intentional with their behavior. Would you agree or disagree with that, Absolutely. You know, um, I think the percentage of them that are actually self-aware enough to to kind of sit there and be like, yeah, this, I'm going to kind of run hot and cold like this and get her or him to scramble after me. I think that's a small percentage of people. This, this technique is so effective um, with getting a, with hooking people that this is one of the techniques taught in the whole like pickup artist community with how to get a, how to get a girl to fall in love with you kind of a thing. So it's, I mean, it's, this is a, it's it's not even a human behavior thing. This is a behavior thing. And um, with animals and, and anybody else that, that unpredictability it causes a person to panic at a like a deeper level. And so, cause we're all driven to have consistency in our life. And, but yeah, I think a lot of them don't, uh, I think you have to realize too, with narcissism, it's not just a blinding degree of selfishness. It's a pathological way of relating to other people and understanding themselves. And so whenever you're seeing all of this, dramatic, erratic, and emotional behavior, this is their pathology in action. Yes. So this whole, you know, narcissists, they don't bond to other people. Right. They just don't. It's sort of like if a person works at a slaughterhouse, they don't bond to the animals there. Great example. But they might go home and, and, uh, you know, well, be okay with their dog right? Like the person at the slaughterhouse. So like, there's a weird kind of divide there. That's kind of how narcissists are. There's just this wall up where for them, attachment equals pain or attachment equals a waste of time. And so they just don't get attached. And so when they run hot and cold, it could just be like, it really could just be like, they don't care. Like, Hey, uh, I want to get laid tonight. I'll call up, you know, Jane. And then Jane is mistaking, oh, he really does care because he's telling me everything I want to hear, how beautiful I am, how much he misses me. It's all pillow talk. And then they have sex and then he ghosts. And it it really could just be as superficial as it's whatever they want, whenever they want. And they just say whatever they need to say in order to get that. And it's not this malicious uh, intent, like premeditated, well, some degree, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to get her trauma bonded to me. It's just Right. I want what I want and, you know. And they have no empathy, so they don't care how it affects you. Exactly. And that is across the spectrum of toxic narcissism. <laughs> um, you know, regardless, some of them know they don't have empathy, <laughs> but most of them just don't. And they mm-hmm. just don't care. And that's how they, they act from that perspective. Just like I tend to act from a perspective of always caring how other people feel, which I'm sure a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of you, you do too. And I know Dana does. So that causes us to you know, if we're in a toxic situation, 
obviously that puts us in a really bad spot if we're always thinking about how someone who's hypersensitive to their own emotions feels, but who doesn't care how anyone else feels. Imagine, I mean, we all can know, we know we've been there, right? Uh (laughs) Yeah. And KB added, I I didn't realize how much I was affected from the narcissist until I got away from her. And I thought that was interesting. And then um, vegan RN said, I actually had withdrawal pains from the trauma bonds in my initial no contact, like a drug. I actually physically felt the pull to want and desire it. And that's, that's real. You know, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing from Nikki Lee, two things. Candy says, thank you for explaining this in an easy to relate to way. And it is absolutely our pleasure. That's why we do what we do. And Nikki says, my ex would, this is a a gaslighting thing. She says, my ex would flirt with people in front of me and then tell me I was in scare. Mine too, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Mine too. Yeah. It's, it is, it, it destroys you in your, in your soul. De- oh, Deborah added that you, you were making sense, Dana, those exact examples have happened to her. So yeah, absolutely. And it's, anyway. inter- it's interesting too, because a lot of this stuff, well, this stuff's not taught. And so generally, like you were saying, Angie, the importance of the educational component behind it, because once you see it for what it is, it's a lot easier to just detach and walk away instead of scrambling after them. You just realize, you know what? I can't do this, mm-hmm. this unpredictable kind of nonsense. Like I, I, I need consistency. I need peace in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, without that knowledge, it's easy to get caught up in, in that, the hot, cold and trying to earn their love, earn consistency, earn, you know, good treatment in your relationship with them. But for a lot of people that get caught up in this, this kind of uh, trauma bonds stuff happened young, So they were growing up in an environment where there was some sort of maybe one parent or both parents where love was not consistently given. Maybe you had a parent who, um, and this is very common, you know, parents get divorced. The other parent decides to up and start a new family and they just don't see their kids that much anymore. And then the children are thrilled when they get, you know, they're, they're thrilled to get crumbs. Oh, they haven't seen their, their parent in three years, but now they get a birthday card and they're on top of the world. So it's this kind of stuff starts young and it's not, they're not identifying it as mistreatment. Right. And so it's a, when a person's not registering, like this is a problem, like this is not healthy. This isn't a sign that mom or dad cares that you're getting one card every three years, or, uh, you know, they did all these horrible things to you, but now they're going to be there. They're willing to take you in for the weekend kind of a thing. It's that it's as an adult, when we start dating, it's really difficult to tell when we're being mistreated because that had been a longstanding pattern. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's, it's it's so painful. And you know, the thing with the kids that you're talking about, this is, I think this is a really important thing. I know a lot of our people here have kids. I know I have kids and it's something that you do need to be prepared for it, but, but let me say this. I mean, obviously you want to keep your kids um, informed depending on their age and things like that. But I think that in some cases, and in some cases, this is going to sound really counterintuitive, but in some cases a narcissist might be a good weekend parent, as long as they're not physically abusive. Um, because they, as we all know, they, they do well in short bursts sometimes. Um, so if that's a possibility, then, I would say, you know, obviously keep your kids um, informed on what what it is they're dealing with if they need to be informed of that, depending on their age and their circumstances. But 
but also, you know, let, let the narcissist be a good weekend parent if they can. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because yeah, but then here's, go ahead. Tell me. I was going to say one of, I think one of the, two of the biggest things with, with this is, uh, because this child is now being conditioned to accept crumbs, they're going to be very defensive if you're trying to say that those crumbs are a problem. That's right. So you're really, and that can even kind of walk the line of being misconstrued as parental alienation against yes. the other parent. So it can really be helpful uh, to, to not talk negatively about the other parent, but just to validate your child. So let's say, let's use that example again of the piano recital, but let's say your ex doesn't come. Okay. And now you've got this child who's just deflated and they're in their room crying, letting your child know, um, you know, I'm sorry that mom or dad didn't come. I know this was a big deal for you. And I just want you to, and you have every right to, to feel the way that you do. That's, that's a hurtful thing. And I'm sorry this happened to you. I just want you to know, I just think you're just such a neat kid and you're so talented and you're just I'm soothing so them. I'm so yes. proud of you, but you're not talking about your ex, but you're My validating friend. them. Cause what a lot of parents, Huge. what a lot of people, I think in general, uh, especially parents try to do is they will, and other family members too, they will say, Oh, you know what? I bet uh, mom or dad just got busy, but you know what? They still really love you. And uh, I'm sure they would have been there if they could have made it. And they're trying to sue the child, but it's almost a gaslighting effect because none of that's true. Right. The reality is they were off with their honey and the child's not a priority. So to, to justify that and make excuses and to make the insensitive parent kind of the victim in this situation is really off. Yes. And can I add something here? I, um, when my oldest child was four, he noticed (laughs) he didn't have a dad because my ex-husband, once I left him, he just fell off the planet. And, um, we were, you know, he's like, mom, why don't, why do all the other kids at preschool have dads? And I don't have a dad. Mm -hmm. Obviously I was a little bit saddened by this. I mean, emotionally destroyed, if I'm being honest, I went to a therapist and I just about that one issue, I was like, well, what do I tell my kid? How do I deal with this? And he said, you tell him the truth, you validate him, and then you remind him, you're always going to be there. You know, you'll always have his back. And so that's exactly what I did. It was horrible. And I cried and he cried and it was terrible. But, you know, he's almost 22 today and he still knows I've always got his back. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line you have to walk. And it's certainly not, you never want to have to say to your child anything. You know, I was told to tell my child he had the right to see it because in this case, he was just not showing up at all. And, mm-hmm. and so I was, I said to him, according to the therapist, which was true, you know, he does have the right to see you, but he's got his own issues. And for whatever reason, chooses not to be here with you. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, that's why, you know, that's why he's not around. However, with that being said, mom's always going to be here. I got your back, you know, whatever, whatever. And I mean, a lot more than that, but in every situation, it's a little different, but I, I just wanted to bring that up because it was a therapist who told me that, and it was an effective strategy at that time for me. So. Yes, you know. absolutely. And the second point that I wanted to bring up, um, and you're absolutely right. Letting it goes back to that need for consistency that we all have. So really reaffirming that child, you know, I'm here, um, but then also doing other bonding things with them. So here's a way that you can get trauma bonds to work for you with your child. Okay. So this is kind of sneaky, but I think this is really helpful because you're kind of having to fight fire with fire. So there is some, um, 
I think intention that needs, I think you just got to realize what, what you're up against and that there's a chemical thing going on and uh, talking logically to your child is, is great to a point, but then there's also behavioral things that we need to do. And so uh, for example, so we were just talking about trauma bonds being forged through the highs and lows, the, the predictability, unpredictability is basically what it is. You can ha- cultivate these bonds, tra- like you can create trauma bonds in a healthy way. Mm. So by creating that uh, consistency, unconsistent inconsistency. So for example, um, uh, going on a roller coaster with your child, uh, these anything that's fear inducing that involves or stress inducing and then involves some sort of relief right so like escape rooms would be another thing where you're against the clock and it because these and these types of situations create they are very bonding and that's why and it creates kind of a, a a me and you versus whatever it is we're going through that's the, against the world yeah, yeah the uh even sometimes seeing a scary movie this is one of the reasons if you go on a date with somebody, you feel a lot closer to them if you were to go see a horror movie than if you were to go see a comedy. Yeah. Even though we're not in it, we're just watching other people going through this stressful situation and then the relief of it. it it's the feeling of who. So making intention to spend bonding time with your child in a situation like that. Uh, ropes courses. This is also office environments. They do this, right? They'll do these team challenge courses where you climb up a telephone pole and jump to a trapeze and you're doing all this stuff. That's why these things are so bonding. Yep. Absolutely. I've got a couple of super chats. So let me talk about those really quick. Um, First of all, we have crumbsy crumbsy. Hello, welcome. And thank you. um, Who says my ex narcissist fiance of 20 plus years has been unmasked and has become evil. And the kids are her target for her smear campaigning me. It's terrible. No contact is my only option, right? Well, I think that would depend on how old the kids are um, and if they are your kids or not um, and what their attitude is about the smear campaign. But for her, you know, assuming the children are adults or otherwise, you know, or or they're yours or hers, I would say I I need a little more information about that. But either way – um, I would say no contact with her unless you have to share the children with her. Mm-hmm. Yes, no contact or low contact. Um, when it comes to a smear campaign, my advice is always this. You look at the people in the face, you look them in their eyes, and you say, if you know me, you know it didn't go that way. Or you, if you know me, you know I didn't do those things. And then if they, you know, unfortunately, if your kid, if it's your kids, it's a lot harder to walk away from them. But if they don't at least give you the benefit of the doubt that I would mentally and emotionally step back from those people one or two steps and give yourself a little space to to think about it. And when this blows over, then look back and see if they were not your kids, I would look back and decide if I wanted those people in my life, if they are your kids, you know, then you have to decide from there. Adult children, we, we can't control them and we can't, you know, there are some unfortunate situations where they become toxic as well. And we do have to go no contact. It just depends on, on, their ability, you know, how long they've dealt with a narcissist and how affected they have become. Are they also narcissistic? Those are things to think about. Um, if you can give me an update, that would be interesting. But Dana, do you want to t- uh, tap in on this one before we get the next one? Uh, uh, no, I think you covered it. But I do have a question from Miss Markle, who was asking about that kind of manu- intentionally manufacturing these quote unquote trauma bonds with children. 
that sounds terrible. I yes. understand, but that's, that's a good point. It's more in the context of uh, uh, fun stuff. Just like understanding, yeah, understanding yeah. the psychology behind um, why certain things are bonding. But Miss Markle asks, well, isn't this manipulative? I, I, the way I look at it as is um, what is the intention there, and right. who benefits? So it's it's for the child's best interest. It's also for your best interest, but it's bonding in a healthy way. There is no, um, you know, it's for kind of the greater good. It's not for trying to get power and control over somebody or to misuse them or uh, abuse them kind of a thing. It's just to kind of keep it filed in the back of your mind that if you're dealing with a person with pathological behavior, there's things that you're going to have to do intentionally to counteract that. So, um, and I think on top of that, I just want to throw this in here. You know, it might've sounded like she, like Dana was saying, okay, manipulate your child this way, but that's not, you know, we, she was pointing, like, like you said, Dana, pointing out the psychology of it, but Anytime you want to bond with your child, I mean, first of all, your child knows that an escape room, you're not really locking your child in a room they can't get out of. If they need to get out, I'm sure there's a <laughs> a safety yeah. door or whatever. And it's the same thing with the roller coaster. I mean, 99.9% of the time, they're totally safe. So even though it feels exciting and dangerous, it's not. And your child knows that going in. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. not really dangerous, technically. So yeah, I think absolutely. that's the point, too. Yeah. yeah and like. Know. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Like you said, I was just going to say, reiterate what you said was, you know, it's the intention. Your intention is to bond with your child in a positive way, not to hurt your child in any way. Like if your child was scared of the roller coaster, you would not put your child on the roller coaster. (laughs) You know what I mean? So go ahead, Dana. That's exactly what I was going to say. So it's kind of just taking the temperature to make sure that your intention, that you're getting the desired outcome that matches up with your intention. So yes, if you do have a six-year-old and you're like, Hey, you know what, boy, I think this would be really great to go through a haunted house. And then, you know, for the next, even that just one night, their child's terrified and they're having nightmares. Okay. You know what? Maybe that was not the best thing to do. So right. not doing that again. Read the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. This, this is not the, the plan backfired. So let's, let's do stuff. That's like age appropriate, you know, you don't know, make sure age appropriate. And like Angie, that was probably a better example with the roller coaster. It's little kids, especially, you just don't know sometimes what they're going to find traumatic. And so, um, you know, it could be like, oh, this is going to be so fun. We're just going to go on the, the, the whirly cups or whatever. And if they're crying or whatever, okay, then no, we need to back up and, and try no something. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. And, and again, I can promise you, I, I think I know Dana well enough to say that she would not manipulate a child ever in, in a negative way. <laughs> so Absolutely not. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, Angela Falsetta, my number one. Hello. She was my very first channel member and she just put us said, she gave us a $20 uh, super chat. Thank you. She says, Angie, my number one. I made it. Hi, Dana. So glad to see you here for you too. So grateful for you. Thank you, Angela. Big hugs and love to you, my friend. All right. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I shouted her out because she was so sweet to do that for us. Okay. Um. There was a question earlier on in the chat and I lost it, but I, it's kind of along the lines of trauma bonds and I think worth uh, addressing. Okay. Children uh, acting out when they get back, especially when they get back from visitation with... Common. Yes. Very common, right. From a problematic parent. And, um, I think it's important for us as adults to realize that children don't have the vocabulary. Um, I mean, look, I mean, 
I didn't either until I was about 40. (laughs) (laughs) Like the most of this stuff. So children really don't have it. And, um, you know, and they're torn because it's their parent. And so I think it's important to realize if they're still doing all of this hot, cold, push, pull kind of stuff with your child, it's still abusive. And so just because we were in an abusive, a lot of times adults think, well, I was in an abusive relationship with them, but they don't realize that their children are too. Right. And so a lot of the trauma response with children is acting out. Yeah. So because they're comfortable with you and they know you'll still love them even when they act out partially. And they just don't know how to express their pain and they don't know what's going on. They just know that um, they're miserable, like stuff's, you know, maybe other parents saying stuff or they're promising stuff and not delivering. And it's just all of this kind of thing. So um, I would strongly encourage with children like that, that are traumatized or that have witnessed a lot of yelling, verbal abuse, physical abuse of any kind uh, to first and foremost, to really establish that your home is a safe place and that you love them unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because any type of boundaries that you start setting and discipline is only going to be interpreted as further abuse to them and that they're, that nobody understands. Right. And it's just going to create more of a wedge. Right. So validating their feelings. And, and, but one of the things that I think a lot of us miss is that, you know, like Dana said, it has to be our home is a safe place. But also we must have consistent rules in our house, right? Yeah. I have I, a relative right now who's dealing with a child who's just completely out of control because she's not, you know, the father's not around and she's not like, she doesn't want to over-discipline the child because she's afraid that, you know, the child won't love her or whatever. But now the child's completely out of control and like throwing things at people in grocery stores. I mean, she's only three, but still. And so you look at that and you think, you know, I was trying to help her with some advice on this last night. You know, how do you go from this wild child who absolutely doesn't listen to a child who at least, you know, is relatively behaved. You have to come up with uh, your part of, of of safe is structure is, is consistency. So that's, so if you have rules in your house, you still make them follow the rules, you know, but maybe if it's, you know, you have to go to bed at nine o'clock, maybe if they're having a hard time, you let them stay up till nine 30 to talk about it or whatever. But Mm -hmm. like Dana said before, validate them and their feelings love them, you know, be there for them, but also be consistent, be that person who doesn't like, you know, just, it, it, sometimes it would feel nice to just, you know, let the rules completely fly out the window, especially when you're feeling overprotective because they've been dealing with some stuff and they come home and they're riled up. But at the same time, maybe you're not feeling over, maybe you're feeling annoyed either way. Um, I think that's almost one of the most important times to keep that consistency. I mean, certainly you don't want to be setting boundaries about, you know, don't talk about your dad or your mom or don't, you know, don't tell me what happened or do tell me what happened or whatever, you know, keep, keep the lines of communication as open as as they can be. But, but if it's, you know, your job to, you know, brush the dog every day, still make him brush the dog every day or whatever. I I don't know if I'm off. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. That's one of the, that's even with adults that are recovering from abuse that core need for consistency is so huge with, yes. within us. And it's one of the ways that, that can help a person to regain that sense of autonomy and um, power in their own life is if they start getting a routine by nature, I am not a routine oriented person. I struggle with it way more than I should. It's um, 
or at least that I, that I think that I should. It's ridiculous. But that was one of the things that really helped me when I was recovering from this was, okay, I'm going to go to the gym at this time and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make my bed every day. Mm-hmm. These little things can make you feel like, okay, you know what? I may not know a lot of things right now, but I know that this is going to happen. Right. That these things are going to happen. And when children are involved, it can also help to, um, you could start doing things like, okay, let's have a family meeting. So it's you and them. Maybe it's Sunday afternoon. And also a lot of this is role modeling desired behavior. So letting them know and, and giving them some control. Okay, so let's come up with some rules and so house rules. Well, what do you think about this? Well, what do you think sounds fair? Or what, these are the, these are the things that need to get done around here. So um, how about you pick one and then I'll pick one. Yeah. So you're, you're bringing them into that so they can take ownership of it and, t- you know, be involved in that predictability. The punishing thing, if you're seeing a child that's lashing out, um, you know, they're cussing, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're messy, they're these kinds of things. It can also help to start the role modeling and, and talking about um, emotions in general. And gotcha. so, okay, uh, it boy, it really looks like you're, you're feeling really frustrated and angry. So can we talk about that? What's going on? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. All, all good points. I, I, I don't mean to like turn here, but um, Go for it. let's move over to some older kids for a minute. Okay. Uh, Crumzy came back. He, Crumzy was the one that put the, uh, was talking about the, the X smear campaigning to the kids. The kids, uh, Crumzy says are 20, 28 and 29. The oldest are her kids. One is her, one is, crumbsy's kid so um in this case i would say you know at least i assume since you've been together for over 20 years that you know the other children pretty well as well but um i would say you know again exactly what i said talk to them explain your side one time if they are still hateful to you or they act like you're you're the the person causing the trouble mentally step back from them, you know, tell them, I love you. I'm always going to be here for you, but because this is going on, I don't want to cause you any additional stress. I'm going to step back and you come to me when you're ready like that. Um, it's painful. And, and I'm, I'm guessing based on what you told me that the 20 year old is yours, in which case it's possible that you can still get through to that one. Um, I could be wrong. It could be that one of yours is from another relationship, but I'm only guessing that based on the amount of time you said you were together and, the fact that the other two are older. <laughs> um, so that would be what I would say to that. Again, the, the same thing, they are adults. They, they can on some level comprehend they've lived with her, I assume, and they know who she is and they know who you are. And if there still is, you know, a lot of question and a lot of um, drama around it, I would just do exactly what I said. And, you know, if they choose to go no contact, that sucks, but I would send them a birthday card and a Christmas card. That's it every year and, or Hanukkah or whatever. And, and just every time the same thing, I love you. I'm always here for you. Reach out if you want me or you need me end of discussion and go from there. And that's very, it's not easy. It's certainly not easy, but you know, if you, if you over protest, like, you know, the lady doth protest too much, me thinks Mm -hmm. quoting Shakespeare and stuff, but, but seriously, if you, if you over explain yourself or you try too hard it's just going to push them further back and and really they shouldn't be in the middle of it anyway and you might even mention that to them you know this is really not about you this is something between your mother and I and or you know she and I and and we need to work through this and and I'm sorry she drug you into it 
like that. That's the most I would say. Certainly validate any feelings they have. But again, these are adults. These are not little children. So you don't really owe them. I mean, you owe them an explanation if you want to give it to them. But I, I understand that you're being smear campaigned, which to me means that what is being said is either not true or being twisted into something that isn't true. So that would be any thoughts to add to that, Dana? So what's the situation? There's, there's three so, kids that are in their twenties, three adult kids in their twenties. Um, to one of them is belongs to Crumsey. Um, and I'm not sure if it's a shared child or a separate child, but, and the, the other two belong to just her, the, the wife who's doing the smear campaigning and she's smear campaigning to the children because obviously she wants them on her side during whatever they're going through. So he wasn't sure how to, how to get through that. So that's what mm-hmm. that was. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and another uh, comment from Crumsey, you're right, Angie, I'm closest to my 20-year-old, and I will state my case once. Great advice. Talk to you soon. Okay. Anything to add to that, Dana? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I think I would just, yeah, leave the door open if you want to, if they have questions and they want to talk about things and um it just really, I don't, it's difficult when kids are adults and there's kind of all of this uh, manipulation and, and stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And it can also help to be accountable to just say, you know what, like, it, um, I wish things had been different. I wish, uh, I'm sorry that you guys had to live in an environment like that. I'm sorry that you're here in the middle like that. I, that's not my my wish for you. Um, I, I get, I get you sound, you know, you're hurt and you're angry by all of this. And I don't blame you. This is confusing and it's upsetting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if I could take back a lot of things, I definitely would. And just let them, let them just if validation is just so helpful in this situation. Yeah. Validation is very, is, is necessary. I, I want to just tack on this one more thing that that therapist said to me when I was talking to him about my four-year-old and that was to do not put too much blame on yourself, even though these are adults and they're not going to necessarily as easily be mm-hmm. turned. You still, you don't want to accept, um, responsibility for things that you didn't do. Yes. Maybe you could say something like, I wish that I had taken you out of there sooner um, so that you didn't have to deal with that. But you don't want to say something like, I'm sorry that I, you know, you know, don't take responsibility for her behavior. That's all I'm saying. You know, take responsibility for your part if you did have a part in it, but don't accept responsibility for the the abuse that she put on them. Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Okay. <laughs> um, I saw something. Um, it was from, let me see if I can find it again. I saw it there. It was from Lorian Hibbs, um, a, 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 uh, live stream a super chat. Yeah. yeah. A super chat, but I don't see her comment. I just see the, I didn't see, see a comment with it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Where were we? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, see, I have a comment here from disparaging destiny who says, my girls are not yet teens and yet they've already learned that they have to quote unquote, earn love. Trying to reprogram them is so difficult without bringing the X into the talk. Yes. Um, I think one thing you can do to kind of overcome that is to show them unconditional love yourself. Um, One of the things that a lot of us didn't get is that unconditional love. And if we have at least one parent who shows it to us without reservation, I think that is a huge, huge um, understanding of... um, that you don't have to 
earn love. However, with that being said, as adults, no one loves you unconditionally. I mean, unless it's your, you got lucky enough to have one of those parents who did, you know what I mean? (laughs) Because even like my children who I love unconditionally, I certainly know for sure that there are things I could do that would cause them to stop caring about me. Now I would not do those things, but it's a fact. It is. Uh-huh. And, and so we have to, as adults, we have to recognize, hey, you know what? <laughs> no, we don't have to earn love, but but certainly there are things we could do to lose love. So I think the most, I guess my point is teach your child to love herself unconditionally and to recognize her value and her worth because no, you don't have to earn love, but there are things people can do to make you stop loving them. And she needs to know that too you know, Mm -hmm. for herself, so that she herself doesn't keep loving someone who's abusing her in the future. You know what I'm saying? And at the same time, so that she herself does not become toxic and expect people to love her when she's horrible. Not that she's horrible, but if she be, Mm -hmm. you know, if she would become that. And I I know that's harsh to say, especially if she's a little child. Um, And I know you said she was not a teen yet, but that is legitimate. You know, it's about treating yourself with love and respect and others with love and respect, you know, the golden rule, that kind of thing, um, karma, whatever you want to name it, it's all the same. Treat mm-hmm. other people like you want to be treated. And, you know, and as her mother, love her unconditionally, show her that it's possible by being your beautiful, amazing self. Love her for who she is. Love her unconditionally, even when she messes up. And maybe she won't, but <laughs> my kids have all messed up a little bit, one really badly, and I still managed to love them through it. And that was a huge deal. Um, for me, <laughs> but, but I'm not trying to, I'm just saying my point is unconditional love is hard. And, and I, the only time I've ever seen it in reality is, is from a relatively healthy mother to her child or a relatively healthy father to his child. I, you know, you, you rarely see it outside of that. I mean, I do know a couple of people over the years who I've seen love a romantic partner unconditionally. And one of them is literally dead. Uh, you know, and, and others are not necessarily in great places because you truly, you cannot love an adult unconditionally. Think about Mm -hmm. the implications of that. Those of us who are sitting here in pain right now, you know, know that when you love someone unconditionally and they, they break your heart or they abuse you or they destroy you, you're left, like we've started this whole conversation out, trauma bonded and, and, Mm -hmm and needy and desperate and, and withdrawing from what mm-hmm. you, you know, so I, I don't know why I went off on this tangent, but I just think it's really important for you to, to know that you kind of do have to earn love on some level, except from your parents. <laughs> you know, am I making any sense or am yeah. I like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And I, you know, um, and I think it's, an, this is, these are important conversations to have with kids, especially kids that are getting close to, kind of the dating age. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can talk about this concept in more of an abstract way where you're not specifically referring to your ex. So you can say things maybe and swap out because a lot of everything that Angie was saying with that, I agree with swap out the word love and maybe you replace it with attention and affection. Mm, good, good, good. So yes. You could say, okay. And being treated appropriately. And so maybe have that discussion about, okay. Um, what is, you know, being treated appropriately, what is not, um, you know, if you have a boy, I would talk about it in terms of dating or in also with friends, mm. you know, if a person's always canceling on you, if they're, um, doing, uh, you know, they, they're mean to you, they're calling you names, they're putting you down, but then the next day they're nice to you. 
this kind of stuff, it's important to see that as that's issues with them. That doesn't mean it's not a sign that there's something unlovable about you. Um, and in just start talking about kind of the differences between healthy relationships and toxic relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, Angela Falsetta says, I have an older grown child. Is she part narcissist? Yes. My narcissist family groomed her that way. What a catch 22. I'm doing my best trying to make a healthier relationship with your, with my daughter. And that's all you can do. I mean, just, we've kind of talked about that a lot in this, in this session today and you're, you're on the right path. I mean, I know it's painful. Um, and then Angela Ramsey says, my 10-year-old daughter has revealed that she thinks her dad doesn't like me. And that's correct. She said, I have talked well of him for her benefit, but she's very sad because if she mentions me, he says nothing. Well, I'll, I'll say this much, nothing is better than something bad. Um, and with that being said, you know, I would just say to her, look, you know what, um, at, at one point your dad and I were in love and everything was great. And then we just, we don't get along anymore, but we both still love you or I still love you if you don't want to give him any credit. I don't know that you should talk well of him for her, except for maybe if she asks specific questions about, well, what did, you know, dad do this when he was a kid or, you know, if you know, or whatever. Um, but I, I don't think you have to overly um, raise him up, but I do think like we talked about earlier, like Dana was mentioning, you know, you don't want to necessarily tear him down either. You know, so, um, but I would just explain to her, you know, it's, it's okay if dad doesn't like me, we both love you. And that's what, you know, we, mm-hmm. we're both concerned about you. And that's why we're still, you know, just keep it as, as simple as at 10 years old, though, <laughs> I have an 11 year old in the other room right now. And um, she's a girl and also one of, one of my, my only girl. And, and I do notice that girls seem to be more aware earlier. So she's probably far more aware than he knows, knows, I'm sure you're aware because you're her mom and you're with her more often, but um, they are not always, but very often emotionally intelligent at that age, girls, especially boys too, some boys, but not all boys. (laughs) So my oldest was less so, and my middle son, he's a total empath. So it just depends on the kid, I think. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, wanted to throw that out there. Um, I know we're probably getting close to the time, but we no, still have a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. And you got a live stream donation here from Lou. Oh, I didn't even see that. Uh, with just a heart message. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah. I missed that one. Gosh darn it. I'm sorry, Lou. I'm trying to keep keep my eye on all the things as <laughs> they're rolling through. All right. Let's see here. Real quick while you're looking for something. Um, I, I, in terms of also working, well, this helps really, I think with anybody, but especially with children, young, younger children is trying to chunk down these different, uh, kind of life lessons in like sound bites. So just keeping them as simple as possible. So they understand, cause again, this stuff's not really taught and it's very easy to be confused. So if you do have a child that's being, um, you know, really off the chain and just, you know, yelling, cussing, throwing things, uh, doing kind of stuff to continue to pull them aside and to just make this kind of the new house rule that you also have to abide by because it's a a lot of it's just role modeling desired behavior, but then letting them know, okay, what is the house rule? House rule is it's okay for us to get upset. It's okay for us to get angry and frustrated, but it's not okay for us to take it out on other people. So let's come up with some other ways that we can show that we're angry and upset. And if, you know, if they're young kids, it can be great. Write out a list. Okay. I could go to my room and shut the door and yell. I could go to my room and hit a pillow. I could talk 
to you about things. I could write them down. I could um, go run around the block. I could call a friend and just having them start brainstorming. And so the next time this happens and they start getting all flustered and upset because a lot of this is like, people don't know how to handle anger. It's turning on a, a fire hose and they're like, Oh, it just, it just comes out. So redirecting them. Okay. Remember that list we came up with? How can you handle this right now? Yeah. And I suggest you write the hand, write that list and put it on the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah. It's a great idea, Dana. Great idea. And yeah. you can also back to them, you know, this is a team thing. This is a family. We're working together on this. So it's not, these rules are not one-sided. Yeah. You can so, all do those things. Yes. Right. And so yes. if you're, if you're struggling with this too, letting them know this rule applies to me too. And then being accountable. So if you say something and it slips up or they overhear you or whatever, owning that and saying, you know what, you're right. That was not okay for me to do. I should have handled it differently. How else could I have handled this? Let's come up with some ways. And then making a concerted effort to role model that appropriate behavior next time. Yep, absolutely. I totally agree 100%. I have some really great comments I want to share with you guys. Linnell says, we all wake up when we are able to learn and move on through this class. Graduate people, learn and move on. I love that. Um, Another thing, Lou Baker says, it's so draining once a year Hoover, but this time I've gray rocked it. Here's 10 for you. (laughs) Not just five. Awesome, Lou. That's amazing. Congratulations. And um, Miss Markle adds, spouses come and go, but children are forever. 100% with you. Um, And then... This is the one that I wanted to read. Um, Nicole Angelina, I, you know, hello, I missed you. She has been um, around the Spanily for a long time. And I used to do, as you guys know, a lot more live streams. I don't, I don't do them as many anymore. But Nicole Angelina always had great stuff to say. And she's got a good one here. She says, guilt, shame, and fear are the lower vibration. There are no time machines. Forgive ourselves for what we did not know and grow. And I think she's referring back to, I'm not sure if it was Maya Angelou or Oprah or both of them, but <laughs> when someone, you know, you, I think it was Maya Angelou, when you forgive yourself for what you didn't know when you didn't know it. You know what I mean? Um, and I just love that. Thank you for that, Nicole. Um, anyway, sorry, you got another one for us? <laughs> uh, I, I'm i still scrolling through. Oh, I got it. Um, pursue happiness, sis. <laughs> um, reinforce what, what you're talking about with the kids by telling them, I love you so deeply, but I don't love the behavior you choose to do when you do have to kind of discipline them when, when they're acting out. I think that's a really, really important thing. Yeah. Because this is another thing I want to just throw in here as, as a lot of, you know, narcissists, they don't have object constancy where they, so they don't, they can't love you and be angry at you at the same time. And this also unfortunately applies to children. So for a healthier parent to say, I love you, but I don't love what you're doing. And we're going to have to deal with that is better. It's a good thing because it shows them quite honestly, the opposite of it shows them that you do have object constancy that, you know, you can love them and be angry at the same time. You know what I mean? Yes. Frustrated or whatever. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And I think that's a very important point, especially when in talking in terms of behavior with the child of it's okay. You can still be angry. Every right to be angry. If something makes you angry, it makes you angry. But we still need to be able to be respectful to other people at the, when we feel yes. this. So like, and, and I like what you had said too, Angie, about um, separating the behavior from the purse, from the child. So I still love you, but I don't love, I don't like it 
when it's hurtful when you call me names or when you are screaming. So I don't love it when you're being intimidating like that. I still love you, but we need to work on this. And, um, you know, Yep. And I think it's one thing I've noticed um, is, you know, if you see them and you have to be really careful with this, but if you do see them behaving in a way that their parent behaves, their toxic parent behaves, um, if you can kind of connect that moment, like, let's say they get upset because you're upset. How many of us have seen that Um, (laughs) with, with people, uh, narcissistic people, especially, you know, if you're mad at them or upset with them, they suddenly are mad at you because, you know, deflection or projection or whatever anyway Mm -hmm. if you see that in your child if it's appropriate to do so you could say hey remember that time that you told me that you know person x did this to you because you were upset that they did that to you or whatever you know in some cases it might be appropriate when they're older teenagers or above I would think um to, to kind of say you're acting like that person that you don't want to be like you know Mm -hmm. or if not that, then an example of a, a, another person who acted like that, you know, that they could maybe connect to. But um, again, not in a way to, to tear down the other parent, but just in a way, if they have complained to you about a particular behavior and you see that behavior in them, then you can say, is this what you were talking about? If the child's old enough and mature enough, I don't know if that's the best advice to, I would not give you that. I have this mosquito bite on my forehead. Mm. Um, I would not give you that advice if you were, um, dealing with anyone below the age of like 15 or 16, you know what I mean? And even yeah. then you still have to be kind of careful how you say it. So it may not be something I should even say, but there yeah. it is <laughs> anyway, moving on. You know, I just had a thought about helping kids to identify emotions because it can be really difficult sometimes to identify what we're feeling, especially if we're kind of torn with I'm angry, but I, I feel like I shouldn't be angry or I don't want to tell mom or dad that I'm angry because uh, I don't want to get punished for it, or I don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever. Yeah. If the, if we're talking again, young children, it can help if to, let's say, for example, if you were in the grocery store and there's another kid, a couple aisle, I don't know, you see another child have total meltdown in the mm-hmm. store. Okay. To, you could ask your child, um, uh, how do you think that child's feeling right now? They, they sound, do they sound frustrated or angry to you? Mm-hmm. Um, and pointing out how do people tend, how can people react sometimes when they're frustrated or angry? What are some things that, uh, what are some other ways that child could have been frustrated? So this that their parent wasn't going to buy him their favorite cereal and they're having a meltdown. Mm. Uh, what do you think happened right there? Uh, what are some other ways that Good that point. child could have handled it? Or um, what do you think about how the, mo- the parent handled it? Yeah, and the double-edged sword benefit to that is uh teaching empathy at the same time yeah i think yeah good stuff good stuff i have some good comments here from um rebecca she says with her daughter who i think i i can't remember her exact age but i think she's around 11 10 something nine um she says we talk about star wars and not going to the dark side i like that (laughs) um and then she adds um let me see she added something else i wanted to read to you hold on um oh when my kiddo loses it, she's not hurting me. She's hurting herself and letting herself down. She says, I tell her to own it. And then she said, we discuss it. And I don't let her say just, I'm sorry. She has to explain why she's sorry and speak it out loud. And I think that's excellent. Rebecca's like, 
she's a good mom. <laughs> she mom. does a good job. Yeah. So good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Um, and then I saw another comment I wanted to share with you. Oh, Maura. Hi, Maura. She says, um, her daughter has been asking her after acting out, do you still love me? And I know Maura's daughter is only like, like three or four, if that, and she, and, but she's real smart for her age. Um, she says, I tell her, of course, I love her. I just didn't like that particular behavior. And I think that's the best thing. Oh, and one more thing Rebecca added. Um, I, she said, admit when you do wrong with your kid, you know, admit it to your kid and own it and set the example. And that's a really important point that we haven't, I don't know if we've said it out loud this time, but um, right. So we're all human and we all make mistakes, right? So if you have done something, you know, you yelled at her because you were frustrated or you, you know, you're, you got frustrated with your son because he keeps going to piano lessons every week and <laughs> you have to drive him. Not that I know anybody that gets frustrated with that ever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm thrilled that my kid's are going to piano lessons um, and I'm happy about his commitment. But sometimes I feel annoyed because I'm trying to get something done or I have a call that runs over and I have to stop and rush off to piano lessons. But, you know, anytime that I feel annoyed, I always say to him, you know what, <laughs> I should have planned my schedule better. I'm really sorry. I was annoyed. I'm, you know, we're, we're going to be there on time. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, but acknowledging any mistakes, you know, even when they're silly ones that don't seem like a big deal in the moment, you know, <clears throat> I don't want him to think in my case, I don't want him to think that I resent taking him anywhere. So I always make a point of saying, you know what, I know that I will never regret one minute of time that I spent with you. So I, I want to apologize to you for being a little brat earlier when I was trying to rush out the door or whatever. And mm -hmm. I don't say brat, but essentially that's what I have been on one or two occasions because um, I was frustrated and irritated. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but it, but it, the point is when you do make a mistake, and that's just a really valid point, because we do make mistakes, even when we're empaths, life gets to us sometimes, we might yell at them inappropriately or, you know, even, I don't know, accuse them of something that they didn't do. Like, I know you, you know, moved my keys. Where'd you put my keys? And then we find them in our pocket or whatever. I just, you know, whatever it is, just be real, own it. Yes, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. Because even kids, you know, especially kids, we were all kids. Um, they need the validation to know that, okay, I was right. That didn't feel good. What mom or dad said in that moment. And so maybe if they, you know, if you take the time to explain that, to your kid and and really genuinely apologize it does make a big difference really good points there everybody all right sorry Dana I didn't mean to keep yakking no no you're fine I, yeah there's just lots of good conversation uh, going sure. on in the chat here mm -hmm. I, I wanted to add a little bit to what you said um, I would say once you have a child uh, that's able to start identifying these are the emotions that I feel I forget who said that in the chat maybe it was um Mora, who said, then she asks them why. Okay, I'm angry. Okay, why? What's going on? What's going on that's making you angry? And that's so helpful because it's amazing how many of us, even as adults, really struggle with that. We're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just really anxious all the time. There's no, it's like, well, there's probably, there's reasons for it. It's just we're not in tune with what those reasons are. So helping them to understand okay, you have hurt feelings, you're sad, you're happy, you're, you know, you're um, angry, you're feeling stressed out, what's going on? Because once you can really help to put a face to what that is, it just helps them to connect things so much more. And then it can also help you as a parent to troubleshoot. Okay, so maybe it's not that your child is just chronically anxious, maybe it's test anxiety. So, okay. So if, if we know, okay, they've got a test this day and 
they don't do well in spelling tests. Okay, we can get the spelling list a little bit earlier. We can start going through, you know, five words a night. There's things that we can do to help alleviate that instead of just being like, I don't know, I'm just stressed all the time and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's a good point. It is a good point. But, you know, and I think on that same token, you know, if say you're in the middle of a divorce and your kid's in the middle of it too, I think it's okay to say, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm stressed out. But again, also to, you know, like Dana was talking about earlier, I mean, obviously maybe don't take them on the roller coaster, but if, if it's not appropriate for them, but um, this can also be a time that you can, you know, kind of have your kids back and, and, and explain to them your emotions because a lot of times, look here, here's a good example. My, my husband, her, his mother, um, she, when he was 12, his mother was driving or his father was driving their family home from his mother's mother's funeral. And then he had a heart attack in the car and died on the way home from, so her husband died on the way home from her mother's funeral. Okay. I can't even imagine. Oh my gosh. That was the strongest woman I ever met in my entire life. And I, she told me, you know, later I wasn't there, obviously I I didn't know him when he was 12, but, but she told me the story, you know, later. And, and she said to me, and I was just goosebumps even thinking about it. I said, how in the world did you survive that? And she, you know, you should know she adopted both of her kids, but so she was like 38 when she, when my husband was born and she really wanted those kids. And so in her mind, she didn't want them to be sad or think she was too sad all the time. And so she would go in the bathroom and cry in the bathtub and she thought she was doing them a favor but she didn't it turned out um inadvertently she made a mistake there and the mistake was the kids thought mom wasn't upset about anything and she was so happy and so they weren't allowed to grieve in their minds for their father and so there was some issues that came up with that and you know again she really did this out of love truly I know this woman and she she did but it was not the right thing to do and that's why and to me that you know she kind of taught me a lesson by telling me this story because because what kids need to know is that you are human. It's okay if you have to cry sometimes. And, and I understand not wanting to cry in front of them, but if they see you crying, you know, just explain, you know what, mommy or daddy is a little sad right now, or, you know, I'm really sad that things didn't work out the way I hoped they would, but I'll, I'll be okay. Don't worry. I'm going to be okay. You know, here, let's color and I'm going to go in the other room for a minute or whatever. You know, I certainly personally don't like to cry in front of, uh, in front of people if I can avoid it, but I wouldn't necessarily hide my emotions you know, like that Mm -hmm. from my kids because of what my mother-in-law told me about what she went through, you know, because she tried, she was really trying to help her kids and she did this purely out of love for them, but, but they just thought they weren't supposed to grieve because she didn't, you know what I mean? Or they thought she did. So, yeah. So it is important. Go ahead. It is, you know, to role model healthy um, expression of emotions because a lot of parents, will do this kind of thing, or maybe they don't fight in front of the children. Um, but then the That's downside of that is then children don't learn healthy conflict resolution. Right. So if you can role model these skills and, and, you know, like you said, Angie, with the crying example, um, you know, it's, it, there's that line where it's sort of like being honest with the child, like you were saying, okay, yes, I, you know, um, you know what? Mom's real upset right now. And I'm just going through a time. I really miss, I really miss grandma. And she was such a neat lady and it just makes me sad in my heart sometimes. And, um, but then also letting the child know, uh, but cause you're the adult and they're the child. So we're not wanting to make them responsible for making us feel better. Uh, so letting them know, but 
but that's okay. It's okay to feel sad and then it'll pass. So, and then maybe also kind of, um, letting, you know, letting them know, but I'll be fine. Like you said, I'll be fine. Um, sometimes it's just, I just need to cry and that's okay. And, uh, and then also with major events like that, our neighbor actually did something really cool the other day. We were talking to them last night. Um, she was, I think in part grieving the loss of her mom, but she also takes in a bunch of foster kids. And so what she did is she started this, like a really nice vegetable garden and it's a tribute garden to her mother who passed. And so she's going to put a plaque out there for her mom. And so we were talking about what a great way to role model healthy expressions of grief and to create a living tribute for somebody who's passed away. And the lesson that for that for children, because again, these situations aren't taught. And then we don't even start to think about it until we're, you know, we lose somebody significant or um, I don't know that's until we have to experience it. And that's not the time when you want to try to have to figure out how to handle these, these kinds of things. Uh, Also, one other point I wanted to touch on real quick too, was um, about owning our behavior. So like the first step is, is acknowledging, okay, this is how I feel. This is, Hey, you know what? I, I got upset and I yelled. And I know that's a, what's against house rules. Cause we don't yell at each other in this house. We talk to each other and um, that was not okay for me to do. If we're going to own it, the other big piece of the puzzle is to, to then stop doing it because if we're continually just owning our behavior and then keeping doing it, that's also kind of setting the stage for this, this quote unquote, I would say unhealthy forgiveness where a person hurts us. They apologize. We feel compelled to let them back in because they own their behavior, but owned behavior isn't a sincere apology. It's uh, changed behavior is a sincere apology. Yeah. So good point. Good point. And yeah, make it clear to them too. So they can't just keep saying, I'm sorry, and that you're going to gloss over it to make it clear own behavior is not an apology changed behavior is an apology. Yes, good point. Really good point. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, Dana, I know you have to leave in three minutes. So we're going to wrap up unless you have another one you want to pull out before we go. Uh, I don't see anything. Does anything hop out I- at you? No, I'm just going to give this information from Nicole because she always has these really great um, quotes. <laughs> she says, uh, we received the, this information at the right time and we, should be, we had to be open to it. We had to go through to get to the other side and no one could have told you because experience is the best teacher. And I think that's true up to a point, but I think that, yeah, it's true up to a point. But at the same time, when we've gone through it, we can use the information that we learn and gain to not do it again in the future if we're lucky. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Believe it all the way, says Linnell. Shift your filter with the end answer you want and then retell your story. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Everybody, we are about to wrap up. Dana has places to go, people to see, and I have some work to do. So (laughs) we'll see you guys uh, Tuesday over on Dana's channel, Thrive After Abuse, here on YouTube. She's also of thriveafterabuse.com and Thrive After Abuse all around the internet. And you all know where... um, you all know where to find me here and queenbeing.com and Facebook, Angie Atkinson, Span. Y'all know where mm-hmm. I'm at. Okay. We'll see you next week. Have a good one, yes. everybody. All right. Bye. Dana, see you later. <laughs> all right. Where am I here? Okay. There we go. All right.